If you have a copy of the scriptures, if you open up to Galatians chapter 5, continuing our series in Galatians called God's Space, um, as you're turning there, I always have miracle stories, and I got another one. Um, if you didn't know this, because I haven't said this enough over the past few years, we're living in the middle of a miracle, and they just don't stop. I'm, I'm serious. Like there's, I got to the point this week, um, there's one thing I can't share with you yet because the details are still being worked out. I'll share that with you soon. But I, I got to the point this week, Tuesday afternoon, after hearing news of what I'm about to share with you, where I, I literally asked myself, I'm like, God, are you ever going to like stop doing this kind of stuff? Because it just seems like constantly, week after week, you're just doing miracle, 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 miracle. And I was just reminded as a church, I was thinking of the scripture where it says, uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in due time. And the responsibility of the local church and, and the follower of Jesus to stay humble in the midst of God's activity. And to remind ourselves that anything amazing that happens to us, in us, or through us is not because of us. But it's like Peter wrote, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And it's because of what Jesus is choosing to do in the context of our church and the people that make up Living Hope Columbus. Pretty amazing. So uh, you remember back in August and Finding Hope Center stuff was going array and uh, God provided for that. And then just even as we close out the year, just God's generosity. I had the opportunity at our Southern Baptist Convention for the state of Ohio this past week. So it was a gathering of about five to 600 pastors and church leaders from all over the state of Ohio. Um, several hundred churches that gathered together, had the opportunity for a few minutes to get up and to share of what God was just doing in our church and to share the story of Living Hope Columbus, share the story of the Finding Hope Center, share the story of everything God's doing around us and allowing us to be a part of in this whole story that he's writing. And so myself and another church planter from Cincinnati shared for a few minutes. And right when we were done sharing, Pastor Jeremy Westbrook, who's the, he's known as the executive director of the state of Ohio now, he's like, man, we love your story. We love the people of Living Up Columbus. We love your church and what God is doing there. Um, here's a check for $10,000 to further the mission of Living Hope Columbus. Like, why us? Why now? I don't know. But man, we're going to take it and we're going to use it for the glory of God um, to keep doing what we're doing. And so just, I got, I got another one after this. Just the details are being worked out that makes that look like small fish, big pond kind of thing. Uh, it's amazing what God is doing in our midst, and I, I just can't believe I get a front row seat for it. So uh, Galatians chapter 5, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to close out this chapter today. Galatians chapter 5, as Paul continues to write to the church in Galatia, he says these words. He says in verse 16, I say then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. And now the works of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar... Paul says, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice, notice that key word there, underlining that in your Bible, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, it, it transition, it shifts now. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's opposed to those things we just read. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh which is with its passions 
and its desires. Verse 25, and if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Let us not provoke one another, and let us not envy one another. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. God, thanks for this day. God, what a, a day to celebrate and to be with family. God, I pray that you would teach us from your word this morning. Lord, would you mold us into the image of Jesus? God, show any areas of our lives that are not in step with the Spirit of God. And when we those are revealed to us, Lord, may we confess our sin and move closer to Jesus Christ this morning. Give us ears to hear from you, God, hearts to receive your word, hands and feet to live out the truths of this passage today. We love you so much, and just in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me be honest, this morning as we've got to this next passage of scripture, it's one that many of us may be familiar with, but one that is not necessarily one I'm looking forward to teaching through, and I'll explain why in just a second. Um, I love the local church. I love our local church. I believe the local church is the, the avenue through which the hope of Jesus is going to be communicated to the whole world. God's plan A to reach people is the local church of Jesus Christ. There's not a plan B. We're it, and God's choosing to use us. But I think Galatians 5, and we saw a little bit of this last week, and it's introduced to us again in this passage, that there's a hidden danger that is rising up against the local church if we're not careful. And it's not some outside force that we may think of when we think of a danger against God's church, not just Living Hope Columbus, but Good News Church down the street, Press Church, Grace Church Powell, all of our, our friends across the city, across Columbus and around the state of Ohio. There's this thing that could destroy the local church that Paul talks about in this passage, and it's this one little word called division. We closed last week in Galatians chapter 5. We ended in verse 15, and we're going to read that here in just a second, where Paul warns against division in the context of the local church. Now, one thing, and I, I, I dealt with this growing up, and I'm sure some of you did too. Sometimes when we preach on like certain topics, like you preach on division, you preach on money, you preach on marriage, that there's this natural tendency in the church for people to lean back and be like, oh, something's going on. He's got to preach on it because something's happening, right? Uh, the budget's out of whack, so we have to preach on money. Uh, there's marriages that are awry, so he has to preach on marriage. Uh, he's preaching on division. That means there's people fighting, and we just don't know who they are. Do you know who they are? You're going to whisper. You're going to text the person across. Do you know who's fighting? It's none of that, all right? None of that. One of the beautiful things about what we do as a church is we preach through books of the Bible most of the time. So we just get to topics and then we deal with them, all right? So we plan this stuff out three months in advance where we know that we're gonna go. So don't think this morning like, oh man, there's something going on in Living Hope that we're just totally unaware of and Pastor Aaron's gonna deal with it publicly from the pulpit rather than privately with people. Huh, that's a word. That's not what we're doing. We're just dealing with what God's word says in this. There's nothing going on here. We are in our greatest days ever that we've ever been in as a local church. But one thing I want us to be aware of is the danger and destruction that division can cause if we don't leave it on our radar. I've seen it happen. I, I know of churches and I've been part of churches that have been absolutely utterly destroyed because of division in the context of the church. And I want us to be proactive about it. I want us to know what God calls us to function, the capacities in which we're supposed to function in, how we're supposed to live as believers so we can be proactive about these things. So when they do rise, we're ready to deal with them and to walk through them as a church. So two weeks ago, we walked through verses 7 through 15 in Galatians chapter 5, and we saw where Paul continues to take this hard line against false doctrine in the churches of Galatia. If you remember the disruption that occurred, 
Paul had preached the gospel. People had gotten saved. Churches were started. Then false teachers, known as the Judaizers, arrived and they said, look, Jesus is not sufficient for salvation. It's Jesus plus adherence to the Jewish law. Specifically, it was this act of circumcision. You all are aware of this. We've preached this for 19 weeks so far, I think, saying this over and over. And so there was this disruption occurring in the church. And Paul writes this letter. The Jerusalem Council sent that letter in Acts chapter 15 to resolve this issue, to say, no, 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 that's not what it is. Jesus is sufficient for our salvation. But listen to this verse we closed with last week, verse 15 of chapter 5, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, remember those two words, one means to lacerate with your teeth, and the other means to just consume in one large gulp. If you're willing to do those things, Paul says, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. The picture is very simple that when divisiveness starts, if you don't deal with it with those who are in your local church family, eventually there'll be nothing left to deal with because your church won't exist. The fighting and the backbiting will ultimately destroy what God created. What was going on in Galatia? There was divisions over theology. You had the Paul camp. You had the camp that followed the Judaizers. And then you got the camp over here, probably, because every church has them. It's like, I have no idea what's going on. I just showed up today. <laughs> you got these three groups, and they're, they're backbiting, and they're fighting in theology. It needed to be corrected, but what's left over once you correct these things? Hey, we were right. Actually, what did you know? Like, we were the, the ones that said we agreed with Paul, and you guys were wrong, but we were right. Told you so. <laughs> and there's relational fallout that occurs in churches when things have to be dealt with. And I think Paul leads us that direction today of, of how do we move forward once division occurs? Once division is dealt with in the context of our church, how do we move forward from that relationally? What does that require of us? One little phrase that I continue to remind myself of this week, and I think it's a simple truth here found in verse 16, that we have to choose to love one another by choosing to walk by the Spirit. We have to start choosing to love one another by choosing to walk by the Spirit. I, I think Paul is giving us a blueprint here in these 11 verses of what it looks like to love those that we had once been at animosity with, those that maybe we had disagreed with, that we had bumped heads with, a little friction had been created. How do we move forward relationally beyond that? And he gives us a blueprint here. Let me say a little side note of this, and then we're going to look at our, our passage today. Um, I think there's a misunderstanding of unity in the context of the church too. Joe and I talk about this all the time. Unity doesn't mean we agree on everything. Understand that? Unity does not mean that we agree on everything. You know what that's called? A cult, all right? We don't agree on everything, but we do agree on the main thing, the mission of Jesus that he's called us to. That's what it means to be unified in the context of a church, that we're, we're unified around this common mission that Jesus saves, and he is the only hope of the world. And because we believe that's true, we choose to love one another despite our differences. We're not going to agree on everything, and that's okay. Even though we disagree on some things, you know what we're still united around? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And we refuse to compromise on that. We're united around a common mission. The mission is important enough that we choose to love one another despite our differences. The mission is important enough, this is a good one, that we refuse to allow anything to divide us. We're, I'm not going to let it happen. 
We may disagree on some secondary issues, but I refuse to let those things divide us because I refuse to compromise the mission that Jesus called us to, to love one another and to share the hope of him with the world. I don't want to compromise the mission of God or destroy the mission of God because of my preferences. I want to be unified around a common mission. So three applications. How do we move past relational conflict? How do we move past these divisions that can occur within the church? What does Paul tell these people? First one, you have to choose your walk. You have to choose how you walk as a follower of Jesus. Notice in verse 16, circle these three words in your Bible if they're the same as mine. He says, I say then. I say then. What's he saying? Based on the reality of what he said in verse 15, that there's a a danger of devouring and consuming one another in the church, arguing and bickering, I'm going to give you a solution, Paul says, because verse 15 is true. I say then, here's the solution in verse 16, walking by the Spirit. Let's read it again. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not. Paul says you certainly will not. There's an added emphasis there. Carry out the desires of your flesh. Did you know as a Christian, every morning when you get out of bed, that you have two options as to how you will walk and live as a follower of Jesus? You can choose every morning to walk by the Spirit, or Paul gives us this other option, verse 16, you can choose to walk by your flesh. But in the construction of this verse, there's an assumption that Paul makes as he's writing to these believers now in Galatia. The assumption is, is that you've experienced the grace of Jesus. I did when I was 15 years old, July 3rd, 2003. The grace of Jesus has just been overwhelming on my life for the past almost 20 years. But because you've experienced the grace of Jesus, Paul says, I'm making an assumption here that you're going to walk by the Spirit now. That you're not going to gratify the flesh because you know what it's like to experience the grace of Jesus. But you're going to choose, rather, to walk by the Spirit. What does that actually look like? You know, I started thinking of when I thought of walking by the Spirit this week. Y'all remember the WWJD bracelets? Anybody rocking one today? No, y'all weren't spiritual enough. Goodness. No, but y'all remember the WWJD? I can remember being like 14. I wasn't even a Christian yet, but I walked, I rocked like six of them. I had like every color WWJD. Like that was like the hip cool thing to do in like the youth group culture of the 90s was where like you, you wore the Caruso shirts, you had a, a hemp necklace, and you had WWJD bracelets on your wrists. And the more you had, the more spiritual you were because you didn't just ask the question, what would Jesus do once? If you had five, Every decision, you had to ask the Lord five times, what would he do? What would he do? What would he do? Over and over and over. But when I think of walking by the Spirit, what a great question for followers of Jesus to ask themselves moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision. What would Jesus do right here? What would he call me to do in this moment? If the Spirit of Jesus is living in me, which Romans 8 says that it is, What would Jesus do right now in this interaction, decision, or whatever's going on in front of me? What what would Christ do? Again, this isn't speaking to our church, but again, a question to ask ourselves. I wonder how much of our relational divisions in the local church would be remedied if Christians would occasionally ask themselves, what would Jesus do right now? Now, what do I want to do? Not what do I wish people would do. What would Jesus do right now. See, walking by the Spirit understands my shortcomings as a Jesus follower, confessing those moment by moment, day by day. Lord, I've screwed this one up and I'm sorry. And now I'm completely and fully yielding to you right now. What do you want to do with me? Lord, what do you want to do through me? Lord, what do you want to do in this moment? 
And I love how Paul closes out verse 16. He says, as Christians, that if we choose to walk by the Spirit, that the flesh doesn't stand a chance. Notice Paul makes the distinction that the flesh and the Spirit do, they can't work in tandem with one another. As Christians, it's one or the other all the time. I can't walk by the Spirit and the flesh at the exact same time. Paul says in verse 17, no, 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 there's this war going on inside of you. You have a sin nature that's still vying for control, but the Spirit of God is also in you, promoting and encouraging you to walk in the will of God. And you have to decide, which one am I going to give into? Which side of the war am I going to surrender to and allow to take control? Look at verse 8. Paul says, if you choose to be led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. The, 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 the question, the answer is, is simple. We can be led by the Spirit or we can be like these Judaizers, these false teachers, under the law and simply led by our flesh, doing what my flesh wants me to do and not what the Spirit of God calls me to do. So we have to choose how we walk day by day. Who will I yield myself to? Will I yield to the flesh or will I yield to the Spirit? Point number two, Paul says there's an overflow from that walk. There's an overflow of your walk. So you have two competing wars in you, the flesh and the spirit, and which one you submit to, there's gonna be an overflow from you of those things. Paul says you can either be the kind of person that the overflow is works of the flesh or the overflow is fruit of the spirit. Works of the flesh are fruit of the spirit. What's Paul say? The danger, the danger in being this fleshly, selfish, self-driven, divisive, is the context here, person, is that's a never-ending black hole. You know your flesh is never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. Sin is never satisfied. It's this never-ending black hole. Look at, these, look at these next few verses, verses 19 um, through 21. Uh, Paul talks about the flesh a lot here. Actually, he gives more, more airtime to the flesh than he does the fruit of the Spirit, which is, I think is interesting. And notice all these sins that make up this, this flesh. There's four categories we could break these up in. There's sexual sins, right? You can read about those there, sexual morality, um, promiscuity, all of those things. There's sins of false doctrine. So you can read about those there, sorcery, um, idolatry. There's sins of divisiveness. Again, those are lumped in the same boat. So you can read about those there, selfish ambition, dissension, envy, factions, then there's these sins of, of excess, drunkenness, carousing around. Paul says anything similar to those. But here's what's so crazy to me. I've never thought about this before in the context of this passage. As Paul is writing can, in this context, because he starts in verse 15 about divisiveness, and then he moves right into the spirit, is he's talking about divisiveness, yet surrounded it, surrounding division in this list, packaged right in between it, are things like sexual immorality, sorcery, idolatry. I don't know about you, but when I think of division, I don't typically put them on the same list as those things, do we? We think of divisiveness, or we're like, well, I mean, it matters, but it's not that big of a deal. Like sexual immorality, whoa. Sorcery, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are big deals, but, but divisiveness? But Paul lists them all in the same list. Why? Because they're all dangerous, they're all opposed to the gospel and they're all destructive to the local church. If anything of the flesh is allowed to run rampant in the life of the Christian or the life of the church, it is destructive to the gospel. I mean, look at verse 21. Paul says, I'm warning you about these things as I have done before 
The Galatians have heard this before, that those who practice such things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Again, that's a pretty strong statement. Again, we think somebody, oh, regularly engaging in promiscuity. Yeah, that makes sense that they're probably not a follower of Jesus. I, I, we could roll with that. Someone who regularly engages in sorcery. Yeah, I could probably engage and agree with that. And they're probably not a follower of Jesus. Hey, side note to that. Make sure we're all on the same page here. There's a difference between struggling with a sin and habitually practicing sin. Right? There's a distinction that Paul makes here in this verse that I want to make sure we're clear on. We all struggle with sin in some capacity, some sins that may even be on this list. That happens. That's called submitting to your flesh, um, but making the willful decision to confess that sin and choose to submit to the Spirit next. That's important. People that habitually practice sin with no willful repentance ever present in their life, that's where Paul would say those people are probably, they're not inheriting the kingdom of God. Why? Because if the spirit of God resides in you, the spirit of God convicts you of sin that you're engaging in. And if, if you're convicted of sin, the Bible teaches that we want to then confess and repent of that sin and get right with the Lord. If there's never repentance that takes place from habitual sin, it likely means that the spirit of Jesus, Romans 8, is not inside of us. It's not in you. So that's how Paul can say those who practice such things, that's willful, habitual practice of these things, are not inheriting the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is not inside of them. But, but again, notice that list there. Like that, that's really, I struggled with that. Sorcery, yeah, I'd place like, man, that's, that's of the flesh. Um, idolatry, yeah, I'd place that. Sexual immorality, yeah, that's, that's of the flesh. But Paul wants us to see here no, if, if we are the kind of individual, be careful here because we're all guilty of this if we're not cautious, that tries to regularly divide to the church, Paul says, ah, you need to be careful. If you're the kind of individual who regularly tries to just create strife and dissension in the context of the church, Paul's like, ah, you need to be careful. And here's, what, here's what we do. They're just, I mean, that's just who they are. They're just like, they're just an opinionated person. Like they just have strong opinions about many things. They're just opinionated. That's just their personality. That's just who that person is. We've all heard this before. We've all been a part of churches where that individual exists. Thank God they're not here. And I say that with absolute integrity. They are not here. Understand this. It's not just who they are. That's not just their personality. Because that's not from Jesus. Jesus was not a, a dissension maker and a divider in this understanding of it. Jesus divided over gospel stuff. People that weren't on the same page with gospel stuff. Jesus was a promoter of unity around the mission of the gospel. And for us to just wave that stuff off and sweep it under the rug, Paul says that is so dangerous because the flesh and the spirit cannot define your life at the exact same time. Rather, it's one or the other. I'm either a person of the flesh or a person of the spirit. So that's the first overflow. How encouraging. Thanks, Aaron. We feel so good about that. Appreciate you teaching that to us. Like, man, I just feel so great about this message today. What about the other one? Like, what about when we submit to the spirit of God? What does that actually look like in the context of a church? Oh, I love this so much. Look at this. Paul calls it fruit in verse 22. One was works of the flesh. One was fruit of the spirit. Why call it fruit? Because it's the picture of John 15 of Jesus' followers being grafted into a vine, grafted into his family. It's things we don't work for. It's things that overflow from us because of who we know and how deeply we know him. 
I use this illustration. You've heard me use it before. My family goes to Apple Farms every single fall. It's what we do. We're the family in the flannel and the hats and the photos. Like, ah, apple trees. We love fall. Hashtag. Right? We're that family. I've never been to an Apple Farm. Ever. Been going to Apple Farms for 10 years with my wife. It's amazing how when you're single, you didn't go to Apple Farms. You get a girlfriend. It's like, all of a sudden, this is what we do. You know? Go to these Apple Farms. I've never heard, I've never been walking through and heard a tree where I hear this. You know, and then I walk over to that tree where I hear that noise and I I get closer and I see this apple hanging from this branch. Apple, what are you doing? I'm just trying to grow. I'm just trying to get bigger. I'm just trying, I'm just trying. You know what apples do? And this is a stupid illustration, but you'll never forget it. You know what apples do? They just hang out on the vine. And when they hang out on the vine, what happens? They grow. They become apples. You see, Jesus, he called us sheep in the scriptures over and over. Psalm 23 is the main one. John 15, we're called sheep over and over in the scriptures. You know why he calls us sheep? Because we need things to be really simple for us. You know what the fruit of the spirit is? It's hang out on the branch. Hang out on the vine. I'm regularly, as you should, engaged with the word of God, reading the scriptures, regularly engaging in personal worship through the singing of God's truth, regularly engaged in the corporate gathering of the body, regularly engaging in a life group to be sharpened among other believers, regularly engaging with other biblical content from men and women that I trust and they're pouring truth into my life through different avenues. Why do I do all of those things? Because I just wanna hang out on the branch. I just want to hang out on the branch and I want Jesus to form things in me to teach me and to grow me into his likeness. It's not a striving that he calls us to. He says, hang out on the branch and watch what I'll do in your life. Notice the fruit that can be produced from us when we we hang out on the branch with Jesus. We let this fruit happen. I want to give these some definitions. He says, you'll be a person of love. That means you're a person who's self-giving and not self-centered, motivated by sacrifice for other people. A person of joy who chooses to be content because you know Jesus. Circumstances cannot shake you because you know Jesus. You don't look for issues because you're content with your present reality. A person of peace who has an overall well-being about them. Jesus says, if you let the fruit of the Spirit be formed in you, you'll be a patient person, meaning that you're you're long-suffering, willing to walk and wait with grace for other people. You'll be a person of kindness. Our kids are learning about the fruit of the spirit. I think one of the most helpful, parents you probably agree with me, was the word kindness they learned like three weeks ago. You know what it means to be a kind person? You're nice. <laughs> we got enough mean people in the world, y'all. Christians shouldn't be mean too. If you're, if you're mean in church, I will literally just walk away from you. I've done it before. We got enough mean people. Be nice. You know Jesus, you're heaven bound. You're still six feet above the ground. Be nice. That's important. Goodness, a person who seeks the good around them for no personal benefit to themselves. Faithfulness, a person who's loyal to other Christians, no matter what. Gentleness, this is a good one too. A person whose presence brings peace and comfort, not stress and anxiety. Make sure you're a person who, when people are around you, they feel at peace and they feel comfort because they're near you. Don't let them feel stressed and anxious because you showed up. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is gentle, or, yeah, gentleness. Last one, self-control. A person who can guard their speech and actions for the well-being of other people. You see, think about this. 
Paul says the works of the flesh are obvious. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit are all of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. What do you think? This is a question I've been asking myself this week. The local church would look like if we embodied these things. What would the local church look like? What would Living Hope Columbus look like if the believers in Living Hope Columbus embodied this fruit because they were hanging out with Jesus throughout the week in the Word? They were worshiping. They were with other believers. What would our church look like? Here's Here's the conclusion I came to. No division would ever form. Why? Because there'd be no room for it. It would be impossible because we would always be seeking the well-being of other people, even in things that we had to confront that were wrong. Again, confrontation is not opposed to unity. It needs to happen sometimes when there's things that need to be addressed. That's important. But when we do it from a posture of love and kindness, you know it's received better. When we do those things from a place of gentleness and faithfulness, not only from the, the giving out end, but the receiving end. And we're like, you know what? Man, you're right. I did screw up. Like, I need, to, I need to correct this in my life. Thank you for pointing those things out. There would be no room for division in the church. Last point, Paul says, okay, so we choose our walk. The results are going to overflow from us. And then he closes these last three verses, 24 through 26, with a simple reminder. He says, Christians, you have to make a choice. Something will be produced in your life. And here's the reminder, verse 24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified with the flesh, with its passions and its desires. What's Paul remind us? That when we choose to walk by the Spirit of God, daily submitting to the Spirit, confessing and repenting of sin, he says, just remember that 2,000 years ago, that that sin nature that you struggle with, that you still fight against, that it was nailed to the cross with Jesus, that its power over you has been defeated. And someday in the future, it will be thrown into the lake of fire. But you have the opportunity now to walk in the victory that Jesus secured for you on that cross. He settled it on the cross. Will you live it out in your present reality? Will we live as spirit-led people. Verse 25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us make sure, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if you notice, verse 25 and verse 16 are relatively similar. We read it again, verse 16, walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 25, your Bible probably says, a lot of translations do, says if we walk by the Spirit. My Bible says live by the Spirit. It's a similar word, and sometimes we'll read that. Walk by the Spirit in verse 16 means as you are living, as you are walking, Make sure you walk by the Spirit. It's it's just this idea of roaming around through life. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 25 is tone shifts in the Greek. It's no longer as you're walking, but the phrase changes. After Paul gave us the whole list, the phrase changes to this. With your next step, walk by the Spirit. And then with your next step, walk by the Spirit. When you go into that next conversation, yield to the Spirit of God. Lord, what would you have me say? You go to help with that next thing in your church. Spirit of God, how would you have me assist? You go to talk to that next person. Spirit of God, what do you want me to say to them to encourage them and help them in their walk with Jesus now? Why do we walk by the Spirit? Because the mission matters. And we have to choose to love other people in our church. Now look at verse 26, just to make, you know, I'm not making this stuff up about division and everything. Paul closes this section of verses. He started in verse 15. Don't bite and devour one another. Then he closes in verse 26. And also make sure, don't become conceited. Don't provoke one another and don't envy one another. What's he saying? Just be careful. 
Be careful, Christians. You're not better than anybody else. You shouldn't be against anybody else, and nobody's better than you. But as we're going to look next week in chapter 6, God has knit together this very unique family, despite our differences, united around a common mission that Jesus saves. Guard your walk. Walk by the Spirit. Let me close with this little story that I thought was interesting. It's pretty sobering to read. And it just simply said, imagine an army unit that had been called in for duty. And as this army unit is, is called in and they've gathered up all of their stuff and they go and they stand before their commander and they're ready to receive the orders of where they're going to be going and what they're going to be doing. But the commander notices something when the army arrives, that a good amount of the soldiers are pretty bloodied up. Lots of bruises on their faces, bloody noses, some black eyes, some of the soldiers missing some teeth. He notices, he looks out across this unit of soldiers that many of them have arms that are in slings. Some of them have braces on their legs. Some come to duty with crutches. And the commander notices that something is wrong with this group of troops that are supposed to go out into battle. And so he asks one of the soldiers, he says, did this group of troops just return from battle? Why are they all bloodied? Why are they all bruised? Why are so many of them in total disarray? To which the one person responds, actually, they were just in the barracks and they were fighting with one another before they actually showed up for duty. See, we have to be so careful in the church that we don't fight in here that we end up compromising the mission that God's called us to out there. Joe and I talk about this all the time. This is the pep rally that sends us on the mission. This is the encouragement to send us out into the battlefield. This is where the tanks get filled so that the mission can be engaged in. Let's not bloody and bruise one another in the barracks so that we're ill-equipped to go out on the mission that he's called us to. The gospel is worth it. Jesus saves sinners, of which, as Paul said, I am the worst. You are the worst. But Jesus can save anybody and everybody. And that's the message we're sent with. Can I pray for us? Father, thanks for your word. I thank you for this church. God, I thank you that you've allowed us to be part of the story that you're writing in our midst. And God, as my prayer has been this entire week, and I I voice it again this morning. God, would you protect us? Lord, in these last few years, you have protected this local church. God, you've protected us from any major divisions that could seek to destroy this congregation. And Father, we pray your continued hand of protection on us. God, would you make us into a spirit-led people? ones that love your word and love your church so much that the fruit of the Spirit just overflows from who we are. And God, as that overflows from us, would you give us the opportunity? And God, would you give us the willingness to love one another, to love those that you've called together in this congregation? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. God, as we leave for the battlefield, we leave equipped. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.